Good morning. Good morning. Have you found victory in Jesus this morning? That's a beautiful song, testimony song, and I hope it's a reality for you today and and, uh, will be into the future. We've been focusing on singing and music this weekend. I've been blessed so far, encouraged, and I love to sing, and there's something about singing that um, reaches deep into our hearts. Music has a way of probably reaching our hearts and into our souls in in ways that uh, words cannot do by themselves. So I've been very encouraged this weekend on this focus. I'd like to share just a couple of verses that came to my mind. Uh, Psalm 95 says, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. I noticed as I was looking through some of the psalms on singing, I noticed how similar this Psalm 95 is to Psalm 100, which is probably one that you're very familiar with. Um, If you look at at Psalm 100, it makes a couple of very similar statements, but I noticed four words that it says specifically in Psalm 100, where it says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he who hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. In this passage, he uses the word make, serve, know, and enter. Make, serve, know, and enter. We were encouraged this weekend that every one of us not only can sing, we should sing. Maybe you don't feel like you have the greatest voice, but the scripture teaches us to sing. At least make a joyful noise. So we are to come with, with making noise, serving with gladness. We serve him out of a heart that is willing to serve. And in that, he says, come before his presence with singing. And then one, one thing that I thought is so good is he says, know ye that the Lord, he is God. We saw that in Psalm 95 too, that part of our singing and part of our worship is remembering how big God is. And it reminds us that we have not made ourselves and he has, he has formed the earth, he's formed, he's built all things, he's created all things. So as we sing and as we worship, worship with knowing who God is. And let that worship draw you into that. And then it ends with an, with a, an invitation. Enter, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Come into worship freely. So I invite you this morning to come into worship and to meet the Lord. We've already experienced some of that through singing But as we go through the worship service this morning, uh, may our hearts be drawn towards him and that we could truly worship him out of a a pure heart. Uh, This morning, uh, those of you that are from Sandy Ridge here would have gotten a text. We would like to take an offering this morning to help offset some of the expenses of uh, Brother Lyle who's come to give us some teaching this weekend. So I'm going to ask 
the ushers to come forward at this time. We're going to take a special offering. You come here to the if you come up here to the front, we'll have a word of prayer before we pass the offering plates. I'd like to also make a brief announcement that um, we did have our council meeting last Sunday. If those of you that could not be here, uh, if you'd like to share during our, our sharing time today, that would be appropriate. Also, we have an open Sunday next week as well. That will be an opportunity for that. Shall we pause and pray? Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to come into your presence this morning and giving us that invitation to come and to worship, to enter your courts with praise. And Lord, we focused on, on music and on singing this weekend. I pray, Lord, we'd be encouraged to lift our voices, to learn, to grow, and uh, to see this as, as an important part of our worship. Thank you for what we've heard. We also pray now, Lord, for this offering. We pray that you would bless each of the givers, and um, may this be to your honor and glory as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Special welcome to you who are visiting with us. Uh, feel free to take part in, in what's happening here this morning. Maybe I'll just also note that we do have lunch here today as well, so you will be welcome to stay for that. <clears throat> as we finish taking the offering, I'm going to ask Brother Lyle to come forward. Lyle Stutzman has been here with us since Friday evening doing some teaching and instructing, and we've really enjoyed that. So if you've not been here yet this morning, I'll uh, just give that as introduction. So before we turn the time over to him, shall we again just briefly pause for prayer? Thank you, Lord, now for this time as we go into um, a time of hearing um, more about music, about singing, your purposes for it. We ask you to be with our brother, Lyle, as he shares with us. Thank you, Lord, for his sacrifice and uh, even coming and leaving his family at home. We pray for his family this morning as well. And just pray that this next hour will be to your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you. Okay, just a housekeeping item. Uh, sound guys, could you pull up the other PowerPoint, please? That would be appreciated. Thank you. <clears throat> All right. Well, wouldn't it be wonderful to know what singing sounds like in heaven? Would we even have the words to be able to describe that if we heard it now? And what about the words? What kinds of words are sung in heaven? If we could hear a song from heaven, I wonder, could we learn something about it that would teach us something about our songs here on earth? Well, the good news is that we have a song from heaven. We can't hear it. But we can read it. And I think we can learn something about our songs on earth by looking at that song. But before we look at it, let's talk about our tastes and preferences when it comes to music. And then we'll see how a song from heaven might be able to shape some of those tastes. <clears throat> All right. It's the one that is session, session three. Do you have that one? Oh. 
We'll get it figured out. They're amazing. They've done a great job all weekend. There we go. All right, session three, we're calling this Sing a New Song. Well, let's talk about our preferences and tastes. It can get a little bit sticky when we talk about that. I'll try not to get too sticky today. But when we think about preferences and tastes, there are several good things, I think, that are good for us to recognize. We should recognize that they're important and that they have consequences. We know that. It doesn't apply just to music, but any area where we have, where we have tastes or preferences, the things that we desire or the things that we don't desire, those things help us to make choices. And of course, those choices impact our lives. Of course we know that they're important and they have consequences in many areas of our lives. Well, we should recognize as well that our tastes didn't instantly get redeemed when we did, right? We may be headed for heaven, but some of our tastes are just the same thing they were the day before we got saved. Maybe some things are pretty similar to how they were maybe years after we began to follow the Lord. You know, if we liked sugar a lot before we started following the Lord, we might still like it a lot afterward. And maybe there are other things that we like as well, things that are not good for us, that over the, it's a process of time that we learn to love what is good and to lay aside the things that are not good for us and to make choices that help us to follow God better. So it's possible for us to like things that are good for us. It's also possible for us to like things that are not good for us. And it's possible for us to dislike things that are good for us. Well, so we must train our preferences. Because once we train our preferences and our tastes, they can be a good guide for us. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if we could just do whatever we want to in this life? Whatever we want to, we would just do it, and it would be the right thing. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, isn't that the idea? We don't ever totally get there. But if we learn to really want what is truly good, then we can live more and more by our desires, because our desires are in line with God's. So, that's why we should train our tastes. They can become a faithful guide to us. But how did our tastes develop in the first place? Well, one of the ways is they develop through repeated exposure to something, especially when we're young. And this applies in many areas. We should recognize the existence of a heart language. So I had a cousin who married someone from El Salvador. She grew up speaking Spanish, and that was her heart language. He grew up speaking English, that was his heart language. So when they were dating and they got married, she wanted to hear him say, I love you, in Spanish, because that meant the most to her. And he wanted to say, I love you, in English, because that meant the most to him. It's a heart language. Well, a similar thing develops in music. When we are young, and we have an emotional or emotional experiences with certain kinds of music, then we become attached to it, emotionally attached to it. And it becomes a language of our heart that's very hard to change. And it can change over time if we have lots and lots of exposure to something else. Over time, it can change. But 
Usually, our first exposure to something, and we have a really strong emotional response to it, we are really drawn into that. I remember when I was a little tyke, not very old at all, I listened to the Kansas Mennonite Men's Chorus. My parents played lots of choir music for me, uh, for us, <clears throat> and is any wonder I love, I still love choirs to this day. They played hymns, I love hymns. And they would play the men's chorus. It's like 350 all the way up to 550 men. Every year they would sing and make a recording, and my dad sang with them. And they played some song. I don't know if it was any special song at all, but I just loved it. And I would do somersaults on the floor when this song came on. Okay, that's a strong emotional response. I had these great emotional experiences, and I remember going to a concert of, the Handel's, of Handel's Messiah, and remember seeing the conductor and just thinking, that is what I want to be someday. And it was just a strong emotional experience. And that really shaped me. It shapes everyone. The thing is, with a heart language, we don't control that, right? It has more to do with what our parents chose for us. And then when we get older, we're just a product of that. And then we have people over here with a heart language for this kind of music. And uh, people over here have a heart language for something else. And they're different. The styles are different. The contexts are different. Maybe some have instruments, some don't. And then we start talking about music. And we just get mad at each other. And we go like this because uh, you're, you're messing with my heart right? And it hurts for you when you talk about, say, negative things about my heart language, but we don't think of it as our heart language. We just know it's okay. It's part of us, and we don't want anybody to talk bad about it, right? So, I think it's helpful for us to recognize the existence of heart language. It happens. It's a real thing, and we should not look down on someone who has a heart language that is different from ours or look up to someone who has a heart language that is similar to ours. We should simply be kind and thoughtful and caring for people, knowing that they will have feelings connected to their heart language. And we shouldn't trample on it, even if our heart language is different. So, an older generation... Now, the older generation now needs to be patient with a younger generation that has grown up in a different time where the musical sounds that happen around us are different from the musical sounds that were happening when you were growing up. And the younger generation needs to be patient with an understanding of the older generation that heard a lot of destructive things coming into the culture right in context with some of kinds of music that now are just mainstream and common and everybody listens to it. And there's nothing wrong with it in a lot of circles. It's just everybody listens to it. But 50 years ago, there was violence, immorality, drugs that were just part of the scene that came in with those kinds of sounds that are now very common. But for the younger generation, they don't see that. That's not happening right now in the music they hear. It's a very different culture. So this doesn't tell us. I'm not describing and saying this is wrong and this is right. That's not my purpose this morning. Simply right now is to say we grew up in different times and it will take patience and love and care to talk through the different generations and realize that we grew up in different times. Well, we can train our tastes. 
It's hard to change a heart language, but we still can train our tastes. How can we train our tastes? Well, we have to recognize they must be trained, and they can be trained. Here are five suggestions for training our tastes. These are not original with me. These are all from Steve Brubaker, and I thought they were excellent, and so I will repeat them here. Number one, we should follow Jesus. Okay, that's kind of basic. We know, oh, that makes sense. Yes, of course, we need to follow Jesus and everything. But think about it. When we are anchored and we're actually truly following Jesus, we're just less susceptible to pressures one way or another. Also, we need to be careful. If we grew up in a Christian setting, like most of us have, that we don't project our ideas onto Jesus and just say that we're anchored in him and then we do what we want and say, yeah, that, that God, God likes that. Jesus likes that. It can be easy to do that, to, to say we're following him, but just do what we want, especially from a Christian setting. Of course, there's Philippians 4, 8, whatsoever things are true, good, pure, those are, are things that should come as we follow Jesus. We should resist the trendy, the temporary. Now, I love this wording because it doesn't say, Avoid completely, cancel, destroy everything that is trendy or temporary. That's probably impossible. We live in a world of changing things, and, you know, a lot of us have painted our houses gray on the inside, even if that was trendy. <laughs> and then eventually it's going to be something else. Maybe it's something else by now. See, I don't know. That I'm, not, I'm trendy at all. I don't know what's going on. Well, it happens, right? But the idea here is not that we have to steadfastly avoid everything that is temporary, but that we resist the power of that to capture us and make us dissatisfied so that we have to find the next trendy and temporary thing so that we can become satisfied until the next trendy and temporary thing comes along so we become dissatisfied and then we can just become a good American consumer and spend money every day of our lives and there we go. We're on that train. So resisting it means that we know there's power there and we recognize that and we say, I'm not going to give in to the power of it. I'm going to paint my house gray because I like it, <laughs> but I'm not, I don't have to paint my car gray. I don't have to paint everything gray, you know. Um, and of course, as it relates to music, there's a lot of music that is being written that is designed to be temporary and it will be on the top 50 charts today and in a year it won't be played. Okay, some will be played, but a lot of those, the top 50 right now, will not be played next year. And that is wonderful for a music industry that wants to continue to sell something. I mean, how could they make money if you don't continue to buy? If, if you keep buying the same thing, keep listening to the same 50 songs next year that you do this year, what is there to sell? So music, in many ways, popular music is designed for obsolescence. It's designed to, to fade away and be replaced with something even more trendy and temporary. So we should resist the power of that. We should submit to the enduring and the classic. Again, these are suggestions for training our tastes. We don't have to do these things. It's just a good idea. It's wisdom to do this. Submit to the enduring and the classic. Of course, that applies to a number of fields, not just music. Just anything that is enduring means there's a certain kind of quality there. And learning to appreciate that and learning why it is good. What is it that makes it enduring? And learning to find value in that. That helps to train our tastes to appreciate that thing that has been 
enduring, and that is classic. We should learn from wise, godly people. That's why I'm using these five points. I didn't think of them, but I think a wise, godly person did. And I think we should learn from other people like that. Find someone you trust and walk them, uh, let them walk beside you. It's especially important, I think, for younger people because I've been young and I still think I'm young, but I guess I'm middle-aged. It's hard to believe, but I remember being young and I remember thinking that I knew a lot and that life made sense and that I understood it. And as I get older, I think, I think I've learned a lot and I think I know a lot about life and that it makes sense. <laughs> In 20 years, am I going to look back on right now and think I don't actually know that much? Probably. So why not now look for people who are 20 years down the road who might have some of the wisdom that I don't have yet, but think I do, but need, and let them speak that into my life. Learn from wise, godly people. And then fast from what we like. This is a great idea. There are so many good things that come from fasting from what we like. Because whatever our tastes are at the moment, if we fast from them, maybe just one thing, then over time we will learn that if something is really truly good, then when we come back to it, it will taste even better. We will experience it as being even better than before we fasted. And if it is not good or not as good, it will not be as satisfying after we have fasted from it. Okay, so I'll be honest with you. Right now, I am avoiding watching YouTube videos for myself. As a middle-aged person, would I do a thing like that? Would I ever watch YouTube videos just for fun? Yeah, I enjoy that. I think that's fun. But you know, I found myself enjoying it too much. I, I just enjoyed it. Even by myself, I could watch something and I said, hey, that was enjoyable. And I found that it was distracting me from other things. So I'm not, <clears throat> not being uh, super strict about it. Like I would maybe watch it with somebody else or something like that. But by myself, I'm avoiding it. And, you know, I find that in myself, there's a desire to be entertained. There still is. I want to do something just for me that's fun. I find myself wanting to go there, and it's really good for me to say, nope, I said I'm not going there this month. I'm just not going to do it. So I have to do something else instead. So I'm speaking from experience right now that fasting from something I like is helping me to focus on something more meaningful, like relationships in my family. And it applies to music as well. Fast from something, when you come back to it, it will be even better or you'll have more clarity about whether it's good or not. So, the notice, the third point is submit to the enduring and the classic. How do we submit to the enduring and the classic? Well, I'm glad you asked because that's what we're doing next. The songs in heaven are enduring, aren't they? I think so. The songs in heaven are classic. I imagine they are. And if we have a chance to look at a song from heaven, we could say, that song is really enduring. 
really classic. Let's see if we can learn something about it. Let's appreciate it. So let's look at the new song in Revelation 5, 9 through 16. Now I'm hoping you can see it well enough to read the bold-faced font. I'll read the regular font and you read the bold-faced font. And so it's basically everything that's in quotation marks. That's the part that you will read with me. So beginning, I will read regular font, and you all read the bold font. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. What a beautiful song. It is so beautiful. It's got to be one of the best songs in all the universe, sung in heaven and given to us to have a glimpse of the glory of the Lamb who is worthy. Well, as we look at this song, we see, we see some characteristics. So we'll talk about the characteristics, and then we'll come back and look at the passage. So we see in verse 9, it has a theme. Christ is worthy. He has redeemed, regenerated. He has included us in his reign. The theme is stated at the beginning. Christ is worthy. Then in verse 12, the theme has some more information given to it. It's developed. Christ is worthy, and there is praise given to the Son. Sevenfold praise. And in verse 13, the theme comes back. Christ is worthy, and there is fourfold praise from all creation joining together. So there's a theme. The theme is developed. There's information given about the theme it's not simply restated over and over, but there's more information given as to why the theme is true and good. And then after being developed, the theme is restated. So let's look at this. Back to Revelation. So we see, let's see, we see the theme here at the beginning. You are worthy. So you, is speaking of Christ, is speaking of the Lamb. You can see the Lamb is mentioned right here. Yes, okay, so the Lamb is mentioned once. I was thinking it's maybe more than once. The Lamb is worthy. The Lamb was slain, right? So you are worthy to do something. 
the lamb is worthy to take the scroll and to open. So the lamb is worthy to do these two things. And now here is why. Let's get some more information about this. Because you are worthy. Because you are slain. You have redeemed us to God by your blood. And we give more information about that. Being redeemed out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. It is thorough. It's descriptive. It doesn't leave anything out. It is extravagant. The use of language is beautiful. It's, it could just say, out of every tribe. And that would cover all the people, wouldn't it? Out of every tongue. That would cover all the people. But no, the point is, it's so good. What the Lamb has done, what Christ has done is so good that we want to let everybody know. It's tribes, it's tongues, it's people, it's nations. It becomes more emphatic as we add information. If this whole thing would just be pared down to, you are worthy because you were slain and you've redeemed us from every tribe and made us right with God. That would be a true song, a good song, but this develops it beyond that. Look at all the information. It's beautiful. Oh, and there's another thing. So he's done this, and he's done this, and he's done this. He's made us kings and priests to our God, and he's done this. We shall reign on the earth. Oh, I don't even know what that's going to look like, but in heaven it's worth praising the Lamb for. That is awesome. And so the Lamb deserves praise for that. Well then, here it is again. Worthy is the Lamb. There, it's, there it is. It's worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Here it is. You are worthy. Here it is. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And now it's developed. To receive. He was slain to do this. To receive power, riches. And here's this sevenfold, again, ever-expanding, descriptive words that we wouldn't have to have all the words in there. But when we do, it gets more and more powerful. And we have to get louder and louder. Don't we? Um, they were loud with a loud voice. Yes. And then at the end, we hear it again. Blessing and honor and glory and power. This is the theme restated, only it's in different order. Be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Blessing. All these things be to the lamb who is worthy. Wow. It's such a powerful song. And it's a simple Structure, really. There's something about that, I think, that is really beautiful. So look at this again. There's a theme that something is done with. There's information given to it, and it's restated. Then maybe I could say it more simply, maybe in a, or in a different way. This song demonstrates that if there's an excellent theme, together with appropriate repetition... And variation. And it builds to a high point. You can see the high point here is in the middle. Uh, it's the seven things, right? There. That's the, that's the loudest part. And so it builds and builds. If we have that, building to a high point and have a satisfying conclusion, then there's something that's, in go that's really good about that. Okay? Having that kind of format if it was good in heaven, it's probably good if we do something like that here on earth. And so we could say that's a form. It's a way to organize words. It's a way to organize a story, a good plot, 
in a good story follows that, right? You find out what's going to happen. You have the character. There's things that happen in the plot and it reaches a high point and then there's a resolution and there's a, just a satisfying conclusion. You get to the end of the book and, oh, it's just amazing. What a great story. It applies to music as well. How about this? I'll sing Silent Night for you and see how you like my Silent Night rendition. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin, mother and child. Okay, at some point, some of you said, okay, I'm going to go to sleep now. Some of you thought, you know, this is getting really bad. This is too much. And of course it was too much. But when I went, silent night, holy night, you didn't think, it's too much. You heard it twice and you said, oh, that sounds right. <laughs> Round yon, okay, then it started to get too much, right? You say, wait, let's go do something else now. Well, that's how it is. In Silent Night, we got Silent Night, Holy Night. That's a little piece of a melody that's repeated, but then something else is done. Da, 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 da. Wait for it. Da, 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 da. And we didn't hear it there. It's like, oh, it's too much. No, it was okay. And we kind of recognized it, but we maybe didn't even think about it, that it was the same as the beginning. And then Holy Infant, Tender and Mild. It wasn't too much yet, was it? By the way, it was like the beginning. It's repetition. Oh, wait. It's repetition and variation. Sleep in heavenly peace. Sleep in heavenly peace. And that's all different. Okay, so we hear that there's something that is repeated and something that is new, something that is varied. And that's just a general form that is, is helpful and that if we use in music, it can give us direction about what is maybe more enduring. Again, it's not necessarily that something needs to follow this form to be good. There are other things that don't follow this form, right? There are probably songs in heaven that don't follow this form. But this is a good one. And if we can look at things on the earth and see this follows that pattern... And if we can learn to appreciate it, then we can train our tastes to learn to like that. Again, I'm talking about how to train our taste to like what is enduring. So we don't have to listen to it. We just want to, right? Did any of you hear that when you were young? You don't have to if you want to. Boy, I hated that growing up. I, just, I couldn't understand that thing. All, it, all I thought it meant was if you really, really can turn up the desire to do it, then they'll say, no, you may not. <laughs> okay, now I got older, you know, maybe 20 years older, and then I started to understand what that actually meant. All right. Well, here's maybe one more way to think about it. I already mentioned repetition, variation, unity, and variety. I'm just looking for different ways to say it that might click in our thinking. Think about beautiful artwork. Beautiful quilts, flower arrangements, beautiful food, even beautiful fish. Or beautiful animals, trees, nature. There's something really beautiful about having repetition and variation. About having unity 
and variety. You look at this maple tree from a distance, and you see this beautiful shape of the tree. It's just an exquisite shape, and it looks like one whole unified thing. And yet, you go up, and you get a leaf, one leaf. And that leaf doesn't look like the shape of the tree. That leaf has its own thing, its own beautiful shape, and all the detail and variety in one leaf and in the branches of the tree. But still, it has one whole. It's very beautiful. So I think this form of having a theme and of doing something with it or having unity variety is very powerful and worth looking at. So now, why don't we just get practical? Let's look in the hymnal and let's see if we can find some characteristics that maybe have it or don't have it, and we can talk about it. So turn in Hymns of the Church to number 261, Rise, Glorious Conqueror, Rise. All right, so I already sang Silent Night a little bit. Well, here we go. We got Rise, Glorious, Conquer, Rise. Now, this, what I've talked about, the unity and variety, that can happen with the text and the music both, right? Let's look, first of all, at the text. The heading at the top of the page is Jesus Christ Ascension. He left the earth. The disciples watched. He went into heaven. This song is about that. Even though it's already happened, we sing it as if it is currently happening, and we want the reality of that event to be present in our lives. So, it says, rise, glorious conqueror, rise. We're saying, go, Jesus. You are a conqueror. Rise and take your place, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That is your rightful place. Remember, he was just crucified. He rose from the dead. He spent a little bit of time on earth, and now he is rising. And that's the context here. Rise, glorious conqueror. Here we hear the beginning of a theme. He is a conqueror. And the clouds are backward rolled, right? And just say, go into heaven, pass through the gates of gold, and reign from heaven. He was on earth, but take your place in heaven. Victor or death in hell. Have we had anything in the first verse that would connect with this? Rise glorious. Conqueror. Victor. It's another word. It's similar It's expanding on the idea of Jesus being a conqueror. He's the victor. And then praises swell and follow this victor and describes the lamb who was slain. Enter incarnate God. In verse 3, we have more information about the conqueror and the victor. No feet but thine have trod the serpent down. Trod the serpent down because he is the victor, because he is the conqueror over the enemy. And it's giving more information. Notice it didn't say in verse 2, rise glorious conqueror. It could have. It could have been fine. But it gave more information. Some different words about the victor. And now we have, he's trotting the serpent, trod the serpent down. And then, Savior, take thy crown. Okay? He is the victor, the victorious king. And then, verse 4, Another strong, powerful word for Jesus, the lion of Judah, right? A lion roars. A lion is fierce. 
And so there are lots of descriptions of God that could have been put into this song, but lion was chosen for verse four. It goes with the other verses. It's expanding on the theme of the piece. And let thy name prevail. Bought with thy blood and tears. That's how he conquered, was with his blood. Okay, so that's the text. The text has a strong theme, and it's developed beautifully. What about the music? When we talk about the music, we're generally talking about the melody of the piece. So we look at the melody line, and it goes, da, 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 da. Okay, so we could say that's sort of like a theme, maybe. And then it takes those two measures, and it bumps them up. Da, 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 da. And then there's something different. Da, 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 da. And then we have da, 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 da. Oh, wait. Da, da, da is the same as measure two. Do you see that? It's also the same as measure four, only measure four was higher. So we didn't hear it as exactly the same thing. And also, the first line, well, the first measure went da, da, da. And this went da, da, da in the opposite direction. Okay? So it's kind of similar, just upside down. And then we have da, 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 da. And that is repeated. Da, 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 da. And then it's new. Da, 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 da. I think we've seen that pattern before. The second measure, da, da, da. And the last line, the high point of the song, da, da, da. It's the exact same pattern. It's just higher. And then it comes, da, 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 da. I think we saw that. Didn't we see that in the second line? Da, 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 da. It's just very similar. So here's the thing. You don't need to recognize this. It doesn't matter that you don't, have, you don't have to sing a song and notice these things. It's fine if you just kind of leave it to the music geeks who want to find these things. Well, this is, a, this is so good. Okay, it's fine if you leave it to us. That's fine. But the point is, it's actually there. It's actually there. And it's there on purpose. And the person who wrote the music didn't just do it by accident, and we're just, we're just reading something into it. No, he did it on purpose because he's a composer and that's what composers do. Composers try to take a little something and repeat it and try to develop it, do something. They put it higher, they put it lower, turn it upside down, put it backwards. Okay, that's what composers do. And so if you find it, it probably was done on purpose. And so this song is filled musically with development of a theme. Everything comes back to the first two measures. Everything. Most of the song is related to the first two measures either being upside down or the same thing, higher or lower. And then there's one new thing, da-da-da-da, and that's repeated at the end, but at a different pitch level. That's great. So now with that in mind, this should be a really, really, really good song. Without knowing anything about it, if we didn't know how it sounded, knowing that the words take a theme that is true and good and develop it, and that musically it does the same thing, this should be a good song. And we should be able to look at it, just like a mechanic could look at an engine, could take an engine apart and put the engine back together and know that engine is going to run. It's going to run perfectly because the mechanic knows exactly how the engine is made and put together. We could do the same thing and we could say, this engine is going to run perfectly. Not only that, it's going to last a long time. And it has. The words written in mid-1800s and the music early 1800s. And it's going to be sung for a long time if the Lord tarries. Let's stand and let's sing it. And we don't need to think. I'm not asking you to think about how the music is going. Just recognize that it's good. 
It's really built well. And then this is now praise to the conqueror. Mm. Rise, glorious conqueror, rise into Be seated. And one thing I forgot to mention is that not only is there a high point in the soprano line, and that's in the, near the end of the song, but there's also a high point in the tenor line. Sometimes there's a high point in one, and then in the other, and it just like, it makes it longer and stronger. So see the tenors have really high notes at near the end, and rain in light. So that just extends it. It makes it even better. Well, let's look in the introduction just a little bit. Turn to the introduction of the book, the second page of the introduction. Hymns of the Church was compiled to equip God's people with songs for victory in every situation. And then it discusses the new song. The theme is repeated throughout the song, but as in all timeless expression, the repetition is varied for maximum effect. And it goes on to describe a little bit what we've been talking about. The next paragraph, the majority of the songs in this hymnal also develop a theme in both the text and the music. And advances the theme through varied repetitions to a definite conclusion. And there are songs given, two, five, etc. Oh, and 261 is one of the ones mentioned, and that's one that we just sang. So I thought, well, at least you're hearing it from one other person, not just me. Right? So at least the compiler of this hymnal thinks that is also a thing and something to care about and appreciate. Well, there are others. Let's look at this one. Number two. That's also listed in the front of the hymnal as being a song that textually and musically advances a theme. <clears throat> 
Come, thou mighty king. Okay, this is obviously a prayer, right? Come, speaking to God. We're asking him to come, and in verse 1, to help us do various things. In verse 2, we're praying to God the Son and asking him to attend our prayer. In verse 3, we're praying to the Holy Spirit and asking him to come bear witness. In verse 4, we are praying to the great one in three and mentioning the Godhead all in one time and saying, not only are we asking you to come and help us, but now we're just saying, praise be to you and saying how it will be. Hence, evermore, his sovereign majesty, may we see that in glory. May we see his majesty in glory and to and through eternity love and adore. So there's a prayer element, there's a praise element, and it's clear the focus is the Godhead, speaking to the Godhead and inviting every part of who God is to come be a part of every part of who we are. And now we have, musically, a similar thing. So I promise you this is the, only, this is the last song I'll do this on, right? So now, uh, maybe not quite. Okay, we'll get there. But notice the melody goes like this. Da-da-da. And then there's something different. Da-da-da-da. And now it goes back up. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Okay, kind of step down at, in the second measure. Da-da-da. And now we're stepping back up. In the fourth measure. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then we have. Da-da-da-da. That's exactly like the first measure. Almost. Da-da-da. Only goes one note further. So it's repeated, but it's a little different, right? And then we have da-da-da. Oh, we had that in the second measure. Just kind of three notes descending in the second measure. In the fourth measure, four, three notes ascending. And now at the last line, da-da-da, da-da-da. That is repeated. Da-da-da, da-da-da. And now we're stepping back up. Da-da-da. The first measure we stepped down or we leaped down. And now we're leaping back up. So that's it's going the other direction. And da-da-da. I think we've seen that before, haven't we? No, we haven't seen that before. Da-da-da-da. We've seen that pattern. We saw it in the second measure, the fourth measure, and so on. Okay, so musically, it's a solid, it's solid, right? It has a theme, it's developed, all the things we've been talking about. And again, as a mechanic, I can look at this song and say, it's got to be good. It's got to be good. The words are so good. The music is so good. It's just going to last. And it has. The music has lasted since 1769. And I imagine this one will stay in hymnals till Jesus returns. It's just a good one. It's just so good. And it's one of the songs that denominations, there are a number of denominations that come out with a hymnal every, you know, maybe 20 years or so. And so you can track what did they choose back in 1900? What songs did they keep? And then the next time they did it, which songs did they keep? Which songs did they discard? Well, there are a handful of songs that they have kept repeatedly. They just cannot drop them. This is one of them. It's just so good. And we're not going to sing it now, but I'm just pointing it out. It's good, solid. So when we're talking about songs that are enduring, we're talking about songs like this. There's also instrumental music that's enduring 
it started to be developed, especially in the 1700s. And there's something that's called sonata form. And so those of you who are interested in that, you can go find some pieces that are written in sonata form. It has a theme, it's developed, restated, and all that. It's very, uh, very beautiful and very enduring often. So, developing our taste, training our taste to learn to like what is enduring. If we don't like Come Thou Mighty King, if we don't like Rise Glorious Conqueror, train our tastes to like that. Then we are learning to like something that is truly good and truly beautiful. Okay, so now we're going to look at another example. Now, before I do this, there might be some of you in here that when I start talking about this are going to lean back in your seat and cross your arms and get cross. <laughs> well, it's okay. It happens sometimes. Turn to number 415. What can wash away my sins? So you've got to listen, got to hear me out all the way through, all the way through. Okay. <clears throat> so one, one thing I like about doing this is that it tends to be young people can really sometimes get their music bashed or, you know, if there's something they like, they get really, you know, this is bad for all these reasons, but the grown-ups never get anything negative said about the music they like, or they can like whatever they want, right? We just have to talk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, how about this one? So this one has a lot of repetition. Okay? At the end of the first line, it says nothing but the blood of Jesus. Uh, and the second line, it says nothing but the blood of Jesus. At the end of the fourth line, it says nothing but the blood of Jesus. In verse 2, it's the same as verse 1 in those same places. In each verse, it says nothing but the blood of Jesus. Okay? So it is repeated a lot, and it, it, the wording isn't changed. So there's a lot of repetition, not as much variation on this one. Okay? Well, let's see. So by the time we get on singing this song, we've sung the exact same thing a lot. Okay, now we do kind of trash on some kinds of music that do a lot of repetition. Well, this one does have a lot of repetition, y'all. Okay. Now, did I say that was bad? No, I didn't. Got to hear me out all the way through. Okay. But it just does. It has a lot of repetition. All right. Now, musically, let's watch this thing. Oh, okay. So basically, the text says the same thing. Every verse says the same thing. It's not developing a theme. It's just saying the thing. Okay. It's fairly simple, and it's just stating a simple truth over and over. And that's why when it says nothing but the blood of Jesus, it doesn't have to change it. We can just stick that thing in four times in every verse. So by the time we uh, get to the end of the song, we've sung it 12 times. Did I do the math right? And so it's a lot of times. Well, how about the music then? Okay, so now where does it go next? Okay. All right, that's fine. That's a repeat. Sometimes we repeat things exactly. Okay, that's fine. Uh, okay, the next line. Okay. And now it's going to really build up. Okay, it didn't build. Okay, y'all, it didn't build to anything. The highest note was one, two, three, four, five. The sixth note in the song was up here. And it went to that note in the second line. And the third line went up there three times. And the last line went up there two times. And there's never a sense musically that we went somewhere and that there was some variation and we got somewhere and then we had this conclusion afterward. It's like we sang the same thing in four lines. Okay? So now, here's the deal. We have to be honest. 
Okay, there's nothing that a younger generation hates more than older generation that isn't honest about something. Well, we just do it because. We can't talk about it, you know. An older generation has to be willing to say, yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of repetition there, right? That song really doesn't go many places. Okay, can we say that? And now, can we in the same breath say that it's worth singing? Of course we can say it's worth singing. We need to have variety in our lives. I'm not saying we shouldn't sing this song, okay? That's why, hear me out all the way to the end. This is great for congregational singing. It's so easy to sing. I mean, it's got da-da-da, that's a chord, da. The fourth note, it's a, it's a different chord. Okay, it's got two chords in the first line, but mostly it's just one chord. And the second line is the same. The next chord, next the third line has, okay, it's one chord, just watch the bass line. You can see the, what the chord is by looking at the bass. If the bass stays on the same note, it's that one chord, and they jump down to something else, it's different. Oh, the whole song only has two chords. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, can we be honest and say that the song only has two chords? Because it's true. It doesn't go anywhere musically. It's just very repetitious. Its value is in that it's really simple. It's easy to sing, and it has a singular message that we don't forget after we sing it. So there's nothing wrong with singing it. I'm fine with singing it. When I sing it, I don't sit there thinking, oh, it doesn't go anywhere. I hate this song. That's okay. It's variety. And you shouldn't think it either. I don't think. But just to know, I think we should be honest and know that songs like this aren't that great musically in terms of being enduring. All right. They have a place. All right. And we can look at one other one of those since we're, we're on an honesty kick right here, y'all. Okay. 585. This song is great for congregational singing. It's so simple. Very easy, singable melody. We can sing it from memory. I grew up singing this. this is, we sang it sort of like a chorus in church. You know, we, someone just spontaneously leads a verse of this song, and it works really well. You look at it, it's the same thing. It's in the same, it's in the same key, almost in the same key. Uh, it goes up to the highest note, it's a one, two, three, four. The fifth note this time instead of the, was it the sixth note in the last song? <laughs> it goes up to the highest note. And then, and then uh, three, in measure three, it goes up. In the second line, it goes up to that highest note. In the next line, it stays up there three times. Oh, four times. And the last line, it goes up there twice. And you go through the song, and it has a grand total of, wait for it, two chords. Okay. It's a very simple song. It works great for congregational singing. I have nothing against it. It's not enduring in the way that some of the others are that we've talked about. And we will sing them. We will appreciate them. We won't look down on them. But we will be honest. Okay? We will be honest about it. All right. There are some others that I have down in case we have time. Holy, holy, holy. Oh, worship the king. But we're going to leave that now. So, as we come toward the end here, I am passionate about training children. Music education is so important. One of the most important things when it comes to developing the heart language of children. So anyone here who has taught or is teaching children, especially if you're teaching children music, uh, wait, parents teach their children music. So whether you're in a school, or whether you're a parent, whether you are an aunt or uncle, and you do something musically with your nieces and nephews, or you babysit, or whatever it is, you have an opportunity to shape children. 
You have an opportunity even to shape their tastes and to even help them learn to love what is really good and beautiful. So here are several suggestions for how we can train our children to love enduring, good, beautiful music. Listen to it. Sing it. Listen to it. Sing it. L oh, memorize hymns as a family, okay? Play quality recordings. It's not that hard to do. If you just play good music repeatedly when children are young, they learn to like it without any effort. Now, some of us grew up liking something. Maybe some of us grew up liking something that wasn't good for us. And we have to uh, kind of have to fight against those desires. And we have to learn to like, you know, broccoli or something like that. We have to work at it. But if we learn to like broccoli as children, we didn't even have to think about it, right? We're able to eat something that's good for us. Same thing can happen with music. So, the key is that we give children emotional experiences with good music at a young age, and they will be hooked on it for life. In conclusion, our tastes can be trained to like what is good and beautiful, but it only happens when we are willing to be trained. We can learn to appreciate beautiful, enduring music by submitting ourselves to it and listening to it repeatedly. Learning the best hymns and teaching them to our children is almost like memorizing scripture. It can feed and sustain us in every kind of trial and difficulty when shallower songs just don't cut it. You know how sometimes when you've heard a talk and you say later on, hmm, I wonder what so-and-so would think about this because you're in a situation that maybe that person was talking about. So if you find yourself in the next few weeks, you're listening to some kind of music or something, or you're around something, and if you find this thought come into your mind, hmm, I wonder what Lyle would think about that. Here's what you need to do. Repent! <laughs> because it doesn't matter what I think about it. It doesn't matter what I've said about it. It only matters what is true. That's why it's so important that we seek the Lord and seek his will for us. It's not about what I think. It's about what God thinks, ultimately, when it comes to training our tastes and our preferences. So may God bless you as you seek him. Let's stand for a word of prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have given us the gift of your Son, the Lamb of God, who is worthy. We worship you today and we give you praise. We thank you for the new song in heaven that inspires us and enriches our lives, that helps us to see and to experience the praise of God in a little tiny way in heaven. And we get to experience that here on the earth. Would you help us to learn to like and to love what is truly good so that our lives will be built up and that we can follow our desires, because they are in line with your desires. So we thank you for helping us and walking with us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.